Away we go. Um, welcome. Great to see you all this morning. I think we're all friends here. We all know each other now. And um, my name is John, and we're talking about trusting God when it hurts. Um, if you're keeping score, this is session six of our winter quarter. And um, quick review of last week. I'll try to get through some of this stuff as quickly as I can so that we have time to, uh, to do some other things. But last week we mentioned that, um, you know, if we wanted to think about categorizing our various struggles, we might use maybe like three categories. One would be like mental illness. We could say another category would be like meaning of life struggles. And then maybe a third category would be problems in living. Right. So so mental illness, uh, meaning of life struggles and uh, problems in living. And, um, you know, we said sometimes it's hard to know, you know, which category our struggle, you know, which bucket it it falls into. And and oftentimes it's a combination of of all three or or a couple. And we then went on to answer the question, you know, what is mental illness? And we, we, um, we discussed pretty briefly a, a diagnosis. We gave an example like of, with phobia of a psychiatric diagnosis and that these diagnoses typically fall on a spectrum. Remember that? Is that ringing a bell a little bit? It's a spectrum. So there's a spectrum of intensity, like for fear or anxiety, there would be a spectrum of intensity. There'd also be a spectrum of uh, duration, Right. So the more the duration, you know, the more serious the the issue. Uh, So intensity, duration and the other thing, there could be an increase in the um, what's the right word? Uh, Just the disruption in our lives. Right. So so we talked about that, that uh, the psychiatric diagnoses typically happen, happen on a spectrum. Uh, And we said that, you know, I mean, sometimes having a diagnosis can be a helpful thing. Like, oh, okay, uh, that's what's going on. But we gave some cautions with that as well. And, and one caution that we've tried to underscore is that typically with psychiatric diagnoses, right, it's more of a description, right, than an explanation. It's more of a description of a problem rather than an explanation of, of why it's happening. Um, And then we gave three implications at the end. We said, you know, one implication of of our discussion is that there's continuity. There's not an us and them, you know. We're all a part of this because we've all experienced anxiety on some end of the spectrum, right? Or worry or many many of the struggles. We've experienced those. So we're all part of this. And number two, we said that we're, Therefore, we can all be involved, like we've had these common experiences, and yet even we, we all know that, that simple things like the gift of attention and listening, you know, no matter what's going on with someone, like that is helpful, and we can do those, those simple basic things. So there's continuity, we're all part of this, uh, we can be involved, we can help, and then the third thing we said is that God speaks. God speaks to all of those. Um, you know, God speaks to anxiety. So whether we're, we're, you know, 
On one end of the, the spectrum, God speaks to anxiety, worry, addiction. He speaks to all those things. No matter where we're at um, on that spectrum, God's word is relevant and germane. And, um, and so we said that, you know, oftentimes trying to discover the, 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 the root cause is complicated. It's complex. And, um, and maybe what I'm going to say next is going to surprise you a little bit. Maybe. But the Bible provides a framework for understanding our experiences. The Bible provides a framework for understanding or helping us make sense of struggles of various kinds, including mental illness. And that's our topic for today. I want you to see a biblical framework for understanding who we are. And in doing that, we're going to, it's going to help us make sense of our experiences. And before we get into that, let me, let me pray for our time together. Our father, thank you for bringing us together this morning. Thank you that you are our God and we are your people because of our great Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you that we can rest this morning. Lord, we don't have to, we don't have to uh, get on the treadmill of performance. Lord, we can rest and relax in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that as we talk today, this material would be helpful. I pray it would be hopeful. Uh, I pray you would uh, just meet us as we, as we talk today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Um, yeah. I've said this, that, that much of what I'm sharing is from a book called Mental Health in Your Church. Uh, I, I like the book. Good book. Helpful book. And um, looking at our outline in general, obviously we're in the winter quarter. And really today's session, I, I had called it the Bible and Mental Health. Uh, the authors in the book call, call it mental health, uh, sorry, they call it developing a biblical understanding of mental health. So I'll, I'll roll with that as well. But that's kind of where we're at. Um, next week, Lord willing, we'll talk a little bit about medications, and then we'll have a few other things to talk about before we hit our spring quarter. So excited about that. Um, we tend to think about the causes of mental illness or, or our struggles. Um, sometimes, when we think about the causes, sometimes it seems pretty obvious. So, for example, Anne was involved in a traffic accident. I mean, a pretty serious traffic accident, right? And, and Zach witnessed a murder. Uh, you can imagine those are significant uh, experiences. And both developed uh, acute anxiety and grew fearful of leaving the house. Both were diagnosed with agoraphobia, right? That's a fancy term for, you know, fear of, of being in a, in a specific situation. Um, both were diagnosed that way. Um, and in this case, if I were to ask you, what was the cause of their anxiety? What would you say? How would you answer that question? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, those experiences, right? Those circumstances were the cause of their anxiety. Or, or take Cindy. She struggled with depression for a decade. And here's an interesting fact. So did her mother and her grandmother. Like all their lives. It was a struggle. And so if I were to ask you, what's a likely cause of, her, of Cindy's struggle with depression? What would you say? Yeah. There's a good chance that it's hereditary. It's genetic. It could be, yeah, and, and so, so we don't want it too quickly, and that's actually where we're headed. But in that case, you know, that, that seems like a pretty good hypothesis anyway. Um, and the authors give the example of Matthew. Matthew attributes his feelings of depression and, and guilt to his failings at work. He just feels like a failure, and, 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 and as you... You get to talk with Matthew. He admits to, to making two serious errors of judgment, which led to the company's financial losses and which led to some of his colleagues being laid off. Right? And Matthew is so plagued by guilt that he hasn't been able to, to face work for months. And if I were to ask you, you know, what are the causes of, of his struggles, what would you say at this point? Yeah, yeah, you'd think, okay, I mean, he made some pretty serious errors of judgment, um, and this guilt, shame, whatever it, whatever we want to call it, is, is really the result. But the authors go on to describe Matthew, um, and they say this, only in Matthew's case, as they got to talk with him, further and investigate more, in Matthew's case, there actually were no errors of judgment. There were no financial losses at his company. There were no colleagues being laid off. And, and the point is, some, sometimes depression can do things and totally skew how we see reality. Okay. So the point of all this is that there could be many contributing factors to our struggles with what we'll call mental health. Sometimes those factors can be identified, sometimes not. Um, and you know what? I, I think I think this is a true statement. In our culture, don't we tend to just assume, like when we think of mental illness, don't we just tend to assume we're talking about a biological issue? Like haven't we been conditioned in a lot of that, like, okay, I've got this mental health struggle and it must be a biological issue. But, but the truth of the matter is, it, it could be, I'm not denying that, that that could be the case, but it seems that social factors contribute to our struggles as well. For example, uh, <clears throat> I mean, it's no secret there's a high incidence of, um, of eating disorders in our, in our Western culture. And, and I mean, if you think about it, how many times do we have to see over and over and over again, you know, images of a perfect male body or a perfect female body? And after, time, after a while, I begin to believe, well, that's what I should look like, right? And so for women, we talk about anorexia. For men, there's this thing called muscle dysmorphia. Have you heard of that? 
muscle dysmorphia. It's basically, I want to be buffed. But I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a real diagnosis. Okay. So here's the question is, is mental illness or struggle or struggles with mental health purely a biological phenomenon? And I mean, I've already kind of tipped my hand, right? Because here's the thing. If they are purely biological, if, if they are, then that means depression is only merely purely caused by, you know, brain chemistry. And, and it can be remedied with the right medication. And in that case, if that were true, then all that matters is getting the right type of medication, right? If that were true, if it were purely biological. Now, here's the thing. To my knowledge, even the most secular of mental health professionals would, would not take that, that view. That would be a minority report among um, mental health professionals. That's a pretty absolutist stance. Most would recognize that non-biological factors contribute to mental health problems. You know, we've already mentioned some of these factors like trauma, right? A traumatic event, uh, prolonged stress, isolation, right? We just went through a pandemic a few years ago. I mean, I think that's, that's changed us probably more than we realize. Okay, I, I remember I remember hearing a guy. His name is Paul McHugh, Doctor Paul McHugh. He used to be. I don't think he is anymore. I think he's still alive though. He was the chief psychiatrist at Johns Hopkins, pretty prestigious medical center. And I remember hearing Paul McHugh talk about a guy that had come to him about ADD or ADHD. And my expectation of, of Dr. McHugh was he was going to think about this totally in biological terms. That was my expectation. I thought he was just going to go right to medication. And I found it so interesting because the, the more uh, Dr. McHugh talked, he said he realized getting to know this man that he noticed that this man could pay exquisite attention to the box scores of his favorite baseball team. But he had trouble paying attention to other things in his life. And the point for Dr. McHugh was that in this guy's case, there was more to the story than merely a biological problem, okay? A wise psychiatrist, he's, he's noticing what's going on. And I think I mentioned a couple weeks ago that to my knowledge, and I'm no expert, right? I'm, I'm no expert, but to my knowledge, most studies, uh, when they try to, try to discern the efficacy or the effectiveness of, of, of psychotropic medications, they've done studies where uh, people will be given medication alone, you know, and, and they, they follow them and see how they improve or don't improve. And others are given medication plus counseling or therapy, right? And to my knowledge, uh, the, the studies have shown that pretty consistently for those people that do medication plus counseling or therapy, there's a much higher incidence of improvement. All of that, my blah, 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 blah. All those words to say that I think we can, we can say that, you know, struggles with mental health are not purely biological, okay? Um, 
And, and as followers of Jesus, I mean, we recognize that spiritual factors, uh, you know, also contribute to mental health or, or illness. And, and I want to be really clear on this. I am not saying that weak faith leads to mental health struggles. Please don't hear me say that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that weak faith uh, is the cause of mental illness in Christians. No, faithful, legit, you know, Christians who are pursuing Christ can struggle, you know, with mental health, okay? They can. That's, that's, that's true. Um, and yet, we would say this. We would say that walking with Jesus... Um, does provide help and hope, even in the midst of those struggles. Like, both of those are true, right? Both of those are true. So, here's the point of all that. What we need is a way of understanding ourselves that accounts for the varied factors that contribute to our struggles. The, the authors of the book I mentioned say this. What we need is a model that incorporates all the varied factors that are operating in mental illness. To arrive at such a model, we must first begin with some first principles to build a biblical understanding of who and what a human being really is. Ooh, this sounds fun, doesn't it? This sounds fun. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. But the Bible says that we have right now the mind of Christ. Yeah. And and me as a Christian, you know, we all go through ups and downs. There's no denying that. Yeah. But when we can face what we're feeling and walk in that feeling so it becomes faith, then we do have the mind of Christ and He gives us alertness for spiritual things as well as every day and that's what I cling to because yeah. outside of that our minds can go every which way absolutely and that's a so that's that. yeah thanks for bringing that up and and you know the older I get the more I'm learning to and man I'm just a tiny little baby in this but I'm learning to trust Jesus more than my feelings. But my feelings just always seem so real. Like that's reality. And but but to your to your point, Louise, I think that's that that would be that that's what all of us are growing in and learning. Yeah, thank you for that. So here's the thing. One of my favorite rock bands asked the all-important question: Who are you? Some of you know that song. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's okay. Probably better that you don't. Um, yeah, the question, who are you, is a really important question. And how does the Bible answer that question? According to the Bible, who are we? That is a really key question. And for you to be here and get clear on that, maybe again, it's worth all the money that you paid to be here. Oh, you didn't pay anything. Okay, well, it's all right. So here's just, a, just by way of summary. We're just going to look at a few things. 
Here, here's who you are uh, based on what God says. He says that you are created by God in his image. You know what that means? That means that your life is not your own. My life is not my own. But you're created by God and in his image. Wow. That's some serious dignity, value, and worth. The Bible also says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearfully and wonderfully made. It's good news so far, right? I'm going to rain on the parade. Because the Bible also says that we're sinful at birth. I'm not making this up. Psalm 51.5, right? I'm not making this up. This is not me. Don't shoot the messenger, as they say. Uh, the Bible also says that when you turn to Jesus, when you turn from your sin and trust him, that you're a new creation in Christ. That's good news. Frank and I were just talking about our past, and um, it's a good reminder we're new creations in Christ. God be praised. And the reality is that we still battle the sinful nature, even though we're new creations in Christ, there's still a battle going on. One day we will be completely remade into the image of Jesus, right? But we're new creations, and yet we still. We still struggle in this life. So let me ask you this question. How does it help our mental health to know that we are both gloriously made and fallen at the same time? How does that help our mental health to know that we're glorious, gloriously made and, and, and yet fallen? There's this duality. Yeah, right. Okay, we're not perfect. So why, why would that help your, your mental health? Why would that help you? So that if I was to fall into depression, that I would know that it's okay. I mean, okay, you know, in a limited way. Yeah. But it's okay to be depressed once in a while. Okay. And, and it's not like sinful or it's just, I'm not having a good day. Yeah, very good. Very good. I like that. It kind of puts, makes you the right size and gives you kind of right expectations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for some of your experiences. That's, that's excellent. Yeah. H hang on. Let me go here, Kathy. But it also then offers you hope that you don't have to stay in your sinful area. Good. Okay, good. So there's some realism and then there's some hope. And yes, Lou. And the Bible says that Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's very good. Yeah, and, and you know, a big part of the Christian life is just getting, trying to get the truth of who we are, you know, like you say, in the context of God's love for us in Christ trying to get that sunk into our hearts so that we actually believe it, right? I mean, we believe a lot of stuff in our heads, but it hasn't really sunk into our hearts yet. And that's, yeah, that's great. How about one more? Yes, Louise. Well, what I found too is that I know that he's causing me to feel that way. 
Yeah. Yeah. So it helps to know that um, we'll talk about this. We are embedded in the world and, and there's an unseen realm that's at play as well. Yeah. Very good. Very good. So all of those things help. All those realities are important to understand the human experience. Um, including the experience of, of mental illness. And so what I want to do, I, I want us to just look at a little more carefully uh, who we are uh, from a biblical perspective. So the first thing that we're going to talk about is your heart, not the organ that pumps blood, right? The Bible talks about, uses the, the term heart uh, as kind of a, a catch-all for the inner person, Okay. Um, the inner life of a person is captured by a, a whole bunch of words in scripture, things like soul, mind, spirit. It actually says inner person. But the term heart kind of captures all of those together to describe this concept of the core of who we are, like who we are on the inside, right? Who we really are. Um, Yeah, yeah, good. And, 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 and so biblically, the heart is the moral decision-making uh, center of a person. The heart determines the direction of our lives because the heart, our hearts make commitments and, and have allegiances. Our hearts make commitments and have allegiances and that's why Proverbs 4.23 says this. This is the NIV. It says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. So, uh, Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Another way to describe the this this um, non-physical inner life or inner person is to describe it as kind of a worship center. Our hearts are like a worship center. All of us have something that we consider our greatest good in life. Something that we're going after, that we're pursuing. Like if I just get that, then life will be good. Right? Does that make sense? So that's what our hearts do. Our hearts desire. Uh, they, they have allegiances. They make com our hearts make commitments. Um, and the Bible's language for that is worship. Whatever we believe is worthy to have the focus of our affections and the best of our energies is the thing that we actually worship. Right? That's what our that's our functional God. So we can show up and sing songs and we call that worship and, and it can be. But really what our hearts are living for is functionally what we actually worship. What do you spend your time doing, thinking about, uh, pursuing? That's really what 
we worship. The Bible says that worship happens with our hearts. Here's, here's, here's some uh, verses that, that use the language of heart. Um, and you can kind of get a sense of that from, from some of these passages. But the word is very near you. The word of God is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. Deuteronomy 30. Uh, Joshua 24, 23 says then, and this is, this is Joshua instructing his fellow Israelites. He says, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel, right? Incline, like set your heart, make your allegiance to Yahweh. That's what he's talking about there. Um, our Lord Jesus, smartest man who ever lived, said this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Right? He's so smart just the way he even puts that all together. Like, like if I'm treasuring something, right? If I'm committed to it, if it's my greatest good, if that's my, if that's my goal in life, I mean, that is where my heart is. It's amazing how he puts that together. And then he says this, he says that, you know, he's talking to some religious people, which should cause us to uh, pause. He says to religious people, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Okay. And then the Apostle Paul says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So, so the heart does all kinds of things, right? It thinks, it makes commitments, it has desires, it makes choices. The heart is the control center of who we are as human beings. That's what the Bible teaches. And it's all, our heart is always active. We're always, we're always desiring, wanting, making commitments. Okay. Um, Bible teaches that key activities in every human life, the emotions we feel, the thoughts we think, the decisions we make derive from our hearts. Like Proverbs 4.23 just says it really well. Guard your heart because everything you do flows out of that. Your words, your actions. Sorry, I'm beating the, beating the drum. You guys get the idea. Yeah, Russ. Does cover a whole lot of stuff. Yeah. That's Proverbs 3, 5, 6, 7, and 8. And here's the thing the older I get, the more I think I'm learning that those are such easy verses to rattle off. But man, actually walking moment by moment, trusting in the Lord Jesus, I don't do that very well. I'm always trusting in my own thoughts, my feet, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so God be praised for Jesus. We need grace and mercy and, 
and, and we need his empowering spirit to help us grow. That's where he's taking us, which is good news. That's where he's taking us. We're learning to trust him more than ourselves. So yeah, that's a great, that's a great verse. Okay. Yeah. 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 Being in the word. That's how, that's how we get the mind of Christ. We learn and remember what he says. Yeah. So hang on before I do that. Um, so in considering people, we begin with the heart because the heart is central to our identity as creatures. Um, so the control center is the heart. Um, and yet God has made us physical beings. And that's what this is trying to show that your, your body and soul or, you know, inner person, outer person, body and heart, you're this integration, right? Um, you're an integrated whole of, of this inner person and this outer body. Everything we do, we experience uh, through our bodies. We hear with our bodies. We speak with our bodies. We touch with our bodies. Um, so yeah, we're an integrated outer person and inner person, um, an inner heart and an outer body in one person. Man, even as I say that, we are fearfully created us like that. And here's the thing. I don't know if this is going to make sense, but what this is trying to show is that our bodies impact our heart. What's going on with our physical bodies can affect our hearts. And really what I want you to do on your, on your diagram there is really, it goes both ways. It really goes both ways. Our bodies can impact our, our heart and our hearts can impact our bodies. Um, so what happens with our bodies affects us. Can you think of examples? How does our bodies, how do our bodies affect our hearts? Yeah, Kathy. Well, if we're dealing with a lot of pain, then we can end up depressed. And, yes. Uh, and actually, it's harder to focus yes. on other things when you're, when you're thinking about your pain. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, physical illness, chronic sickness, um, yeah, can absolutely affect, you know, it's really, that's why that's really hard, right? Yeah. So that affects our heart. Okay. Any other examples you can think of? How about, how about somebody that hasn't, res- oh yeah, Jenny. Let's go. Okay. Post-traumatic disorder. Yeah. Is that right? PTSD. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think there's a famous book uh, called The Body Keeps the Score. Um, if you've read that, but yeah, that absolutely that affects us. How about how about this? How about a lack of sleep? What does that do to you? Any any parent any young parents here? Our our children have small children, little kids that don't sleep very well. And man, I'm going to see them later on today, Lord willing, and they're going to be like zombies, like uh, right and and. And it's sometimes it's really hard to be patient, like I'm tired and this stuff that's in me just bleh, just comes out. Good. Um, it's also true that our hearts affect our bodies, right? Can you think of examples? How does our heart affect our bodies? Other, other direction. How about, how about, come on, give me somebody that, yes, 
Kendall, thank you. What would be some of the choices that you make, you know, because of your heart and what you're trusting in, that could affect your body? Yeah, yeah, we said that, but yeah, on the whole, the, the direction of our life, so, so it could be, um, you know, what we say with our words, like we would, you know, if we're, yeah, yeah, I mean, just in general, absolutely true. I'm thinking like, for example, I'm thinking like embarrassment. Have you ever felt embarrassed? Like what tends to happen when we're embarrassed? We blush, right? There's this inner feeling that is manifest in this blushing. And that just is one aspect of, of what Kendall shared, yeah. Um, how about when we're anxious? What happens to your heart? Heart rate, right? My heart increases, my heart rate increases. So you, you get the point. Um, there's a two-way interaction between our, our inner lives and our bodies. When we believe and fear and rejoice, it gets expressed in our bodies. And what we experience in our bodies impacts our thoughts, feelings, and decisions. And again, just give you a couple of, uh, couple of verses here. Uh, we read about Jesus that after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Sounds like kind of an understatement, right? It's like, are you kidding me? He was hungry. Yeah, yeah, for sure he was. And it says, and the tempter came and said to him. So the implication is, this is a great moment of weakness because he's hungry. He's in a place where if temptation is gonna work, this is an opportune time for Satan, okay? You get the point? Um, <clears throat> and then uh, David in Psalm 32 says this. Remember, he's, he's, he's hidden his sin. He's not confessed it. He's hanging on to it. And he says, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. This inner life of guilt has an impact on his body. Interesting. Okay, so physical experience, experiences affect us and contribute. Uh, there's one more influence to consider. Um, every person lives in a specific cultural context, and I know this is getting kind of kind of wonky. I wish I had it better. Really, what we're talking about, the heart, the body, and then this would be the world. I think, is that on your, is that on your, your handout, the world? Okay, that's, that's what this is, is just the, the, the world. So that's, we're, we're embedded in a world in 21st century, you know, Western culture, if you will. And that's, here's another understatement, that's kind of different than first century Palestine. Our culture is different. And sometimes those differences create very different struggles, right? Like we mentioned, I, I, I mean, I don't know this for sure, but my guess is that um, in first century Palestine, there wasn't a lot of body image struggles. That's just a guess. I, I could be wrong. Well, they didn't have mirrors too. Right, right. And they were mostly probably covered up, right? So, but in our culture, we're bombarded with images of perfect male and female bodies. So that, that's just an example. We're embedded in the world. And I mean... So the views, beliefs, expectations of our culture are bound to make an impact on us. And, you know, we know this even in, 
even in the context of our families. Like, I've had the great privilege of seeing, you know, my sons marry uh, women, and they come together, and, but we, we realize they come from very different family cultures, and sometimes there's a lot to work through there, right? There's expectations. There's the way we've done things. We're really, or I'm not saying we're really organized, but some are really organized. Others are more chaotic. We would be of the chaotic bunch, right? Loud and it's all crazy. And these poor young women come into our family and it's just like, what in the world is going on? So the point is, uh, those things affect us. We, we talked about, I mentioned the pandemic, you know, whatever we think of, of that COVID pandemic, living through that changed us. I mean, I think it just did. It changed how we work, right? It changed how we relate to one another. Like I wasn't doing a lot of Zoom stuff, maybe a little, but I wasn't doing a lot of Zoom stuff before the pandemic. Like didn't their stock like go up like a thousand? It's probably back down. My mother grew up in Nazi Germany. You gotta meet my mom sometime. She grew up in Nazi Germany. She was 17 when Hitler finally surrendered. And you know what? To this day, there's a, a storeroom full of cans of food and boxes of noodles. And I mean, she's constantly, and that my whole life, it's like, what are we doing with all this food, right? So, so you get the point. Here's some biblical examples. Um, this is Naomi. Remember in the book of Ruth, Naomi, <clears throat> she, she returns to, to Israel and she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Lord has dealt very bitterly with me. Naomi lost a husband and two sons, and that affected her greatly, right? The Bible's very clear. The world in which we live, circumstances we experience, are, they affect us. Uh, Habakkuk. Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and, and you will not save, Right? Habakkuk is angry about the injustice that he witnesses over and over again. He's affected by his world. So, God's word doesn't see faith as a Bible. Uh, as, sorry, God's word doesn't see faith as a bubble protecting us from the effects of life in a fallen world. I mean, one more here. The Apostle Paul says this. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed, right? Faith in Jesus makes a difference, absolutely. Yes and amen. But Paul is saying, look, it's hard living in the world, right? There's hope. Knowing Christ makes a difference. But he's, Paul is affected by his world and in fact, many of Paul's struggles were caused by his faith in Christ. One more, one more for you. I'm going to ask you to actually add this one. Um, so the point is this. A biblical understanding of mental health and mental illness must make room for all of these factors. 
our physical bodies, our cultural and personal circumstances, and the activities uh, of our hearts. All of these impact us, okay? And then there's one more. You can draw this circle around your, uh, add this uh, outer circle, and that is um, spiritual realities at work. First and foremost, there's the sovereign Lord who lives and reigns and rules, right? He rules over all things, and, and he's working to achieve his ultimate good purposes, and there's also a power for evil working in this present age, and he can bring damage and destruction upon the people of God. Ultimately, God is, is sovereign, yes, and we've talked, that was all fall quarter. We talked about this mysterious sovereignty of God, <clears throat> and yet, even when he ordains or allows difficult things in our lives, he has an ultimate good purpose behind it. So those all affect us. Now, here's what we're going to do. The authors of this book, hopefully we've got, yeah, we got a little time. We'll do this. We'll make it happen. Let's put this together with a, an example. This is Emma. So I want you to be thinking about all of those influences on a person that we just talked about. We're going to talk about Emma. Emma's been feeling low for six months, consistently flat and lacking in energy, waking early in the morning with a low appetite. Emma will tell you that life feels empty and the future looks bleak. Nothing brings her pleasure or joy. Emma has many of the classic features of depression, but why has this happened? Why is Emma depressed? Now again, if you've been conditioned by our culture, you may read that and immediately think, man, she probably needs some medication. Like that's step one, right? We're conditioned to think biological problems. But, but you're, you're talking with Emma. Those are the presenting problems. And as you talk with Emma, you learn more about her. And she shares this, a year ago, her older brother died suddenly and unexpectedly from a brain hemorrhage. He was only 46. Emma and her brother were really close and she misses him desperately. Two months after his death, Emma had her third miscarriage. This one was at 18 weeks, just when she was beginning to think the pregnancy was safe. She and her husband remained childless despite input from the local fertility clinic. Now, what would you say are some of the causes of Emma's depression? Yeah, circumstantial, right? She's fearful and she's worried, but why? Because... Yeah, her brother has died. She's grieving. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So at this point, you know, is it a biological problem? I mean, we could say the, the miscarriage, but I mean, just her depression and, and her struggle. Yeah, we'd say there's other factors involved there. Let's keep reading. Let's keep getting to know Emma. Emma has a family history of depression. Her mother has been depressed several times, as has her twin sister. 
Emma also recently started taking some medication for high blood pressure. One of the side effects listed for the medication is low mood and depression. Now we It's more complicated, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Emma, we can't help you. We'll talk to you later. No, that's not, that's not what we're going to do. Okay, right? You're seeing there's, there's lots going on here. There's lots going on with Emma. Let me read further. You're still talking to Emma, getting to know her. Five years ago, Emma had an affair. She hid it from her husband, who only found out when he saw an email message on her laptop. She was apologetic and said it was a kind of madness. She regretted it hugely, and with input from a counselor at their church, they've begun to rebuild their marriage. But trust has been lost, and Emma feels deep guilt and shame. And even though her pastor and her friends at church remind her of God's grace, Emma wonders if God will really forgive her. She now constantly volunteers at church, hoping to gain more assurance. Those close to her, including her husband, say this is consistent with her perfectionist and controlling, and controlling way she has dealt with so much of her life. Now, now Louise. A lot going on there. Here's, here's what we can say, and you're asking good questions. How do we help her? Well, we can say this. Even if we attribute Emma's depression to her brother's death and the several miscarriages, investing time in her spiritual help, health is gonna be helpful to her, right? Even if, even if her guilt isn't the main thing, it's a contributing factor. And no matter who we're ministering, no matter who it is, helping them get the gospel sunk more deeply into their hearts is, is going to be helpful. So even if her mistaken beliefs are not the contributing factor to her depression, it's worth addressing those because knowing God and, and ourselves more richly and deeply glorifies God and is good, will be good for Emma. Like she's gonna grow, she's gonna be helped by doing that. So we don't have to figure everything out, right? We can come alongside her. And um, for Emma, growing her trust in Jesus' grace is good for her, um, even if we don't, aren't able to figure out all the rest of her issues. Um, and, and, and so what that means for us is that no matter where people are on the spectrum, right? We can be helpful. We can give them the gift of attention, of listening, of trying to remind them of the goodness and grace of Jesus, right? Yeah, there's a lot to figure out with Emma, but where do I start? Well, you can start there. Like, let's talk about the gospel. Yeah, Kathy. Yes. Yes. So it's, it's, you can't be like a, okay, I visited her for a few times on 
yeah, I'm going to walk with you. Yeah, and what a gift that is. Yeah, we, 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 we don't really, I, I don't think we understand the value of, of time, attention, listening. So, yeah, that's very good. Yeah, Jenny, one more. Jesus set that up to bring himself glory in helping us realize those things that we need to be Yes, amen, amen. I was thinking about that the other day. I thought, you know, the life in the church isn't always easy, but I, I've, I'm thinking back over the, the, I don't know, 15 or more years at Grace Christian Fellowship, and I just thought, you know what, I've, I, I, I've got a lot of issues, a lot of problems, a lot of struggles, but God has done some pretty encouraging things in my life through his people. And um, I wouldn't be where I'm at on my own. I just wouldn't be. And um, so, yes, we can help each other and minister to each other. I had more to say, um, but I guess it's better to to leave it there for now. I'm going to pray for us. Hopefully we'll see you next week. Father, thank you for, for our time together today. And Lord, help us as we consider our own struggles. Help us to consider our hearts and our bodies and our, uh, our, our social context and, and even the spiritual realities that, uh, that are around us and influence us that we can't see, God. I pray that we would grow as the body of Christ, that we would grow to help each other and walk with each other. Lord, thanks for today. We, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.